I have to put you on to Armoire, the convenient solution to effortless, fresh, and stylish dressing. With an Armoire membership, you can curate the perfect wardrobe with high-quality, unique brands tailored specifically to your taste. Simply take a five-minute style quiz, select items from your personalized closet, then your chosen styles arrive at your doorstep in as little as two days. When it's time for a wardrobe refresh, just swap out your current pieces for new-to-you styles. I go from professional to the carpool pickup line, so I need a diverse wardrobe. With Armoire, I always have something fresh and on-trend for any occasion, without the clutter. I recently edited my wardrobe to staple pieces only because Armoire allows me to add new pieces monthly and return them just in time for me to do it all over again. And by renting, rather than constantly buying new clothes, I'm contributing to sustainability. Armoire is currently helping me through my chic era with all the high fashion and edgy options that I am loving. And the empowering aspect of supporting a women-founded and women-led business is so cool. With their personalized styling suggestions and diverse designer offerings, Armoire has helped me define and refine my personal style, even as trends evolve and my body changes. Whether it's a date night, a professional event, a formal affair, or just a trip to the grocery store, Armoire ensures that I am always dressed to impress effortlessly. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash murderish. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash murderish to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Serial Streamers True Crime TV Club. And if you don't know what that is, it's basically a virtual true crime TV club, kind of like a book club, but it's actually a club for people who are out there binging all the true crime documentaries. I'm talking like the cult docs, the murder docs, the fraud docs, the scam docs, you name it. And then we come back and we meet in my uh, social media comments and we talk about all these wild documentaries together. It's been really fun, you know, to do this Serial Streamers True Crime TV Club because it's a bunch of like-minded people and a lot of us don't have somebody in our lives who really wants to talk about all this true crime stuff with us. So that's where Serial Streamers comes in. If you want to join, it's easy. Just follow me on social media. I'm at Jamie on Air on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. And it's J-A-M-I on air. And also another thing that other people are picking up on is that when I announce the watch assignment, you know, the, the docu-series that we're going to watch together as part of the club, sometimes people don't have time to watch it. Maybe they don't want to watch it or just whatever reason. You don't really even have to watch these documentaries because I do a pretty good recap of them uh, on the podcast episodes, which are on Murderish, the podcast. It's available anywhere podcasts are available. And I also upload a video version to my YouTube channel at Jamie on Air. So you can just kind of get like my Cliff's Notes version, if you will, of these documentaries, if you prefer to binge the content that way. 
Okay. So, and also, you know, I guess sometimes it's nice for me to reintroduce myself. If you're just now listening to or watching my content, you don't know who the heck I am. My name is Jamie Rice. I am a full-time podcaster, content creator. Uh, I started my podcast Murderish six years ago, and that is where these serial streamers episodes live on the Murderish podcast feed. And um, we just recently started this true crime TV club. This was just a few months ago. And that's because you know, I was just looking for a like-minded community of people. I'm also a mom of three kids. Two of them are adults and out of the house. Well, one just came back, which I'm actually excited for. Um, and I also have a 10 year old daughter who is still in the house with us. Uh, but I am counting down the days when I could like literally jet off to the beach for uh, a day of day drinking with my husband on a Tuesday if I want. <laughs> it sounds awful, but I've been momming hard for 26 plus years. My oldest child is 26. My youngest is 10. And don't, you know, don't get me wrong. She's my bestie. Okay. I do want to offer a few trigger warnings before we get into this uh, particular documentary, um, because it's pretty dark. We're going to cover topics such as murder, sexual assault, and child abuse. So please heed my warning and take care before listening. Okay, the documentary that the serial streamers watched together and that I'm going to recap now, it's The Prison Confessions of Gypsy Rose Blanchard. It, this is a Lifetime original documentary and it came out uh, just this month, January of 2024. Gypsy Rose Blanchard, she's a young girl who was raised by what we now know was an extremely abusive mother. And we're going to get into the details of that. In 2015, Gypsy Rose Blanchard, she was like 23 to 24 years old at the time. And her boyfriend at the time, Nick Godijohn, were arrested for the murder of Dee Dee Blanchard, which was Gypsy Rose's mother. So she and her then boyfriend were responsible or arrested for at that time for her mother's murder. In 2016, the next year, Gypsy Rose pleaded guilty to second degree murder. She was sentenced to 10 years in prison. She took a plea deal, but she would only go on to serve about eight years. Her boyfriend at the time, uh, Nick Godijohn, I think he was 26 at the time of Dee Dee Blanchard's murder. He pleaded not guilty when he went to trial, but he was convicted of first degree murder and he was sentenced to life in prison with no parole. So very different punishments for the two of them. And this documentary mostly takes place uh, but while Gypsy is behind bars at the Chillicothe Correctional Center in Ohio. The doc begins uh, in a prison interview uh, about 24 hours before Gypsy is going to go in front of the parole board to see if she's going to be granted parole. And I right away heard a familiar voice, and that is the voice of my good friend, Melissa Moore. Melissa and I host a podcast together called Lipstick and Lies. Um, but Melissa's career for the last many years has been as a producer for uh, documentaries. So she was one of the producers on this documentary, the Gypsy Rose doc. And so she actually visited Gypsy Rose in prison um, and they kept in touch through letters and things like that from what she told me. But you can hear Melissa's voice in the background as she asks, you know, Gypsy questions. And I thought that was pretty cool. And I love this relatable moment that Gypsy has uh, in the beginning of the documentary. She's like, I don't want my double chin to be prominent or I don't want my double chin to show. And boy, like, if you know, you know, I'm the same way. 
with angles when I do this YouTube channel. It is so funny that the things that you will notice when you suddenly become active on social media and you put out videos um, and on YouTube, I watch these long form videos back of myself. And of course I'm sitting there critiquing every damn thing. But anyway, I just thought that was completely relatable that Gypsy was like, oh God, hope you get the right angle. My double chin doesn't show. <laughs> okay, so Gypsy Rose's mother, Dee Dee, um, it is alleged or theorized that she had Munchau or suffered from Munchausen by proxy. And essentially this is a psychiatric disorder in which a parent or other caregiver seeks attention from medical professionals by causing or fabricating signs or symptoms of illness in a child. And that seems like exactly what Dee Dee was doing to Gypsy that, you know, we're going to get into this and the doc really kind of deep dives into this, but there were just a number of illnesses that were faked that Dee Dee said that her daughter was afflicted with, uh, which she wasn't. And unfortunately, Gypsy would have to go through countless unnecessary, dangerous surgeries because of Dee Dee's, you know, tendency to fake illnesses in her daughter. It's just, it's a wild story, but obviously we're going to get into that. And one of the ways that Dee Dee did this to Gypsy is that, you know, she forced her daughter to use a wheelchair. She told this lie that her daughter wasn't able to walk when Gypsy was, in fact, able to walk her entire life. Uh, she actually faked leukemia in Gypsy. Gypsy was never, never had leukemia, yet Dee Dee said she did. Um, she said that her daughter had a seizure disorder, impaired hearing, multiple surgeries, like I said, were had that were unnecessary. And she actually shaved her daughter's head. She shaved Gypsy's head to make it look like she was going through chemo treatments from the leukemia. And Gypsy alleges that her mother was not only, you know, emotionally uh, abusive, but also physically abusive. And I believe her. Um, she says that her mother took to hitting her at some point. She also chained her to the bed for weeks. She withheld food from Gypsy when she didn't do as asked. Um, this is abuse. If all those things happened, and I believe they did, that is horrible, horrible abuse uh, that Dee Dee inflicted on her daughter. And Gypsy alleges that her mother not only put her through emotional abuse, but also physical abuse. And I completely believe her. She said her mother did things like hit her. She chained her to the bed for weeks. She withheld food. Uh, she faked illnesses and had her daughter go through all these surgeries, and we're going to get a little more into that, but it's just, um, if all these things are true, Dee Dee's a real piece of shit, and I get it. She's not here anymore, but you still are going to face scrutiny for your actions, especially as a mother who did the opposite of what you were supposed to do with your child, and that is love and nurture them and provide a safe environment for them to grow up in, and you did none of that, so... The documentary features Christy Blanchard, and this is Gypsy's stepmom. She's been married to Gypsy's father for many years. Um, and she says, you know, in the documentary that Gypsy was actually, and you know, we know that Gypsy went to prison for eight and a half years for the murder of her mother. But Christy says, you know, Gypsy was actually her mother's prisoner. Um, and I agree with that, uh, that Gypsy, it seems like, has been in prison for much longer than she's been in actual prison because of the abuse, you know, inflicted upon her uh, by her mother. And Rod Blanchard is Gypsy Rose's father, although he really was not in her life 
up until recently, fairly recently, really up until the murder of her mother is, you know, before all that, he really wasn't in her life. And there are reasons for that, which he explains and Gypsy explains in the documentary. Um, but uh, Rod and Christy are married. They have a daughter together, which is Gypsy's half-sister. And she's also featured in the documentary. Now, backing up a little bit, um, Dee Dee and Rod Blanchard got married after three months of being together. And that was because Dee Dee got pregnant with Gypsy. So they got married, but Rod admits, you know, I was really never in love with Dee Dee, but I felt like I needed to do the right thing and marry her since she's pregnant. And Rod was only 17 years old at the time. Dee Dee was 23, but she lied, according to Rod, and said she was 21. And if that is true, which I believe that it is, um, you know, Dee Dee has been lying and manipulating for a very long time. Their marriage ended, you know, that's no shocker. And Dee Dee actually blamed Gypsy for their divorce, saying that she wasn't the son that her father wanted. So according to Gypsy, Dee Dee put this immense pressure on her, like basically you're the reason that my marriage to your father didn't work out because you weren't a boy and he wanted a boy, which is more than likely bullshit. A man named Dr. Rob Steele is featured in the documentary. He is Gypsy's or was Gypsy's pediatrician. And he claims that Dee Dee would never give him Gypsy's previous medical records. And that makes perfect sense because Dee Dee is trying to keep up the ruse through her Munchausen by proxy syndrome, if that is in fact what she suffered from, that her daughter is a sickly child that's, you know, knocking on death's door that who can't walk, who had leukemia, yada, yada. Of course, she's not going to want to produce previous medical records because then, you know, the gig is going to be up. And it's explained in the documentary that Dee Dee actually at some point pulled Gypsy out of school. She told people that she was going to homeschool uh, Gypsy instead. But there are people in the documentary that say, no, she actually wasn't really being schooled, you know, homeschooled by her mother. She actually spent a lot of time with her grandfather, uh, a man named Claude Petrie. And she wasn't actually in school. She was just at her grandfather's house. Um I don't know what the truth is, but I found that very interesting because if you listen to Gypsy speak for even five seconds, you know she's an intelligent woman. And maybe that's just inherent in her. Um, maybe that's because she did get some education and it was enough for her to be such a well-spoken adult. But she is not stupid. Uh, I, I would argue just quite the opposite. She is. She comes off as extremely well-spoken. Um, and intelligent. And I don't know why I was surprised by that. Like, I, I guess I was surprised by that given the sheltered uh, life that she lived and hearing that she wasn't in school when she was supposed to be in school. Now, somebody in the documentary uh, or the producers or somebody brings up the fact that maybe she's so well-spoken because her mom would coach her um, to basically say what she wanted her to say to media outlets and things like that. And so you see Gypsy in previous, you know, news stories where she appears on camera and she's probably saying exactly what her mom rehearsed and told her to say. And so maybe she's been coached so many times on what to say in front of the media and in front of cameras, in front of large audiences. Maybe that's why she's so well-spoken. I don't really know. Um, but I have to admit that I was somewhat surprised at how well-spoken she is. 
And Gypsy says, you know, the documentary kind of bounces back and forth. And I also do that in my podcast episodes for Murderish, where they kind of take us to the present day where Gypsy's in prison talking about prison life or what she's going to do after prison. But then the next scene will be, you know, something from Gypsy's past and it'll go back to the murder investigation, let's say that happened years prior. So I'm going to kind of do that a little bit in my recap. You'll hear me talk about present day Gypsy, but then I'll kind of go back to the murder investigation and things that happened in Gypsy's past. So just, you know, it is what it is. And Gypsy says in prison that actually when she went to prison was one of the happiest days of her life. Um, and that makes sense because she says, I was finally free. I was in prison. I was in my mother's prison for so many years. I had no privacy. I had no freedom. I was, you know, bound to a wheelchair, chained to a bed for weeks at one point. So when I got to prison, it's all of a sudden like, wait, I can go outside at certain times I can talk to people, I can do, I can socialize. So she actually felt more free than she'd ever felt in her life when she went to prison. And that makes perfect sense to me. Gypsy explains that she craved her mother's attention. And uh, apparently when she disappointed her mother, Dee Dee, um, Dee Dee would go and show the cat a lot of affection right in front of Gypsy, almost to make her jealous. And that's just sort of like a mind fuck. You know, it kind of gives you some insight into Dee Dee's psyche. And we learn in the documentary that Dee Dee was definitely um, kind of a shyster, you know, in a lot of different ways. Um, there was a warrant out for her arrest at one point um, because she had written some bad checks. And apparently she maxed out her dead mother's credit card after her mother had died uh, fraudulently. She, Dee Dee was a scammer through and through. So Dee Dee always ran away from her legal trouble. She would write bad checks, max out her dead mother's credit card, do whatever. And she would just like move out of town. And she moved a lot, according to Gypsy. You know, um, they did not have a lot of money at all. In fact, there were times when Dee Dee and Gypsy lived in the projects or sometimes they really had nowhere to live. Sometimes they stayed with family, Dee Dee's father, Claude, Gypsy's grandfather, who she spent a lot of time with. So they didn't have a lot of money, but, but Dee Dee would find a way to solve that. And we're going to get into that. And, you know, some of the family members who were interviewed, these are Gypsy's family members and Dee Dee's family members. They say they mostly didn't believe that Gypsy was as sick as Dee Dee led on or sick at all. Um, but they also kind of like got caught up in the haze and maybe believed for a while, okay, maybe she does have problems walking. Maybe she does have the seizure disorder. But they also questioned it in their own minds. But it doesn't seem like anybody outright went to Dee Dee and said, listen, bitch, like you're lying. Okay. You, none of this is true. I don't think anybody did that. So at one point in the documentary, uh, Gypsy accuses her grandfather, Claude, the one she spent so much time with, of sexually abusing her as a child, uh, at a, a very young child. Now, Claude denies this, and they do ask him about it in the documentary. But it was very cringy. I, there's probably a stronger word, but I was very uncomfortable with Claude's response. So he denies sexually abusing Gypsy, although he doesn't strongly deny it. And again, everybody's different. So I don't know whether he did this or didn't. Um, he denies it. So I just want to set the record straight. But Claude, what he says is no. In fact, it was Gypsy 
who would try to touch me uh, when she was four years old. So it just, he's, he's putting it back on a four-year-old child saying, no, not only did I not abuse her in that way, she tried to do that to me. And he's talking about a four-year-old child. So I just was really uncomfortable with this. Um, if I'm, if I'm saying whether I believe gypsy or not, I am a woman who almost always believes women when it comes to sexual abuse. I believe gypsy. I do. Now, can I prove anything one way or another? No, but um, I do believe Gypsy. It's her word against her grandfather. Um, again, for the record, he denies it. But if I'm if I'm choosing, yeah, I, I I believe Gypsy. And Gypsy alleges that her mother Dee Dee put Roundup. I think this is like a weed killer in her father's second wife's food so that she could attempt to poison her and maybe kill her. Um, apparently, Dee Dee hated her. Uh, after her mother died, you know, Claude, her father, remarried. And apparently, Dee Dee hated his, her father's second wife, so much so that Gypsy says she put Roundup in her food. And I guess Laura May was her name, uh, Claude's wife. She died after that. Now, the, document the documentary tells us that she, she, somebody on the documentary says that Laura May died slow and painful, but they didn't elaborate on that. So I don't know if it had something to do with the alleged roundup that Dee Dee was putting in her food or if it was completely unrelated. They didn't really specify that. Okay. A little bit about Dee Dee Blanchard. Her legal name at birth was Claudine Petrie, but she goes by Dee Dee. Uh, she was born in 1967 near the Gold Coast in Louisiana. Um, Dee Dee was apparently her mother's favorite. And she was just her little princess, as the family would put it. And apparently Dee Dee had a heart murmur. And this caused her mother to not allow Dee Dee to go out and play with all, you know, like normal with all the other kids. And maybe this is where Dee Dee learned to inflict that kind of life on her own daughter, Gypsy. But then obviously, you know, times a million. Um, maybe she learned that behavior of withholding her child from uh, doing normal activities with other children and living like a normal child, a normal childhood. What is normal, right? Let's face it. Um, but we all can, I think, admit that any, you know, the life that Gypsy lived was anything but typical. And it seems like Dee Dee wanted to keep Gypsy as young as possible for as long as possible, because that would continue to allow her to keep controlling and manipulating her daughter. So for example, she would lie to Gypsy and say, oh, you're 12 years old, when in reality, Gypsy was like 17 or 16 years old. And Gypsy had, doesn't know. You know, she's probably never seen her birth certificate. And also Dee Dee put white out or something on the birth certificate at one point and showed Gypsy and Gypsy's like, okay, I guess I'm the age that my mom says I am. And Dee Dee would lie to other people about Gypsy's age as well. She always tried to put on a front that her daughter was this young, weak and meager knocking on death's door child. At one point, Dee Dee had Gypsy's salivary glands removed. It was a bogus procedure that she didn't need because Dee Dee went to the medical professionals and said, my daughter has X medical issue. And somehow without any real proof, they go and take out her salivary glands. And this caused severe tooth loss in Gypsy. So much so that to date, 
as a grown adult who's 30-ish years old, Gypsy has 16 teeth. Most adults have anywhere from 28 to 32 teeth, depending on whether you've had your wisdom teeth pulled out. So, you know, these things that her mother had her go through medically have had a lasting impact on Gypsy and her overall health as an adult. At one point, Gypsy admits that she began taking her mother's Vicodin and she was in a lot of pain and rightfully so. She's going through all these bullshit procedures that her mom's putting her through and she said she was in a lot of pain so she took these pills and she ends up getting addicted. In prison, she continues that path of addiction and Gypsy says that she becomes addicted to Suboxone, which apparently is a medication that helps to treat pill addiction. Correct me if I'm wrong, but something like that. But she does become addicted to that while she's in prison. Now, like I said earlier, Dee Dee Blanchard was a big freaking scammy McScammerson. And she would constantly apply for grants and perks from nonprofit organizations such as Habitat for Humanity. And this one paid off big because Dee Dee actually got Habitat for Humanity to build a home for her and Gypsy that was, I think, completely free to them. I don't think they had to pay a dime for it. I believe that's how it works. And that's because Dee Dee had convinced everybody that her daughter's in this wheelchair and maybe she's going to die early and she's so sick and oh, woe is us. And she would go and coach Gypsy on how to appear before the media. So you see all this footage from previous media reports because of course the news shows up to show off this new house that they just got and Gypsy's crying and Dee Dee's you know you know giving her a, a warm embrace like any you know loving mother would but it was all a ruse it was all a lie it was all a scam they got a free freaking house because Dee Dee was so persistent in applying for all these perks from nonprofit organizations based on the lie that she had a very sick child Okay, so Gypsy's pediatrician says in the documentary that at one point he ends up calling authorities because he starts to see multiple birthdays for Gypsy in certain medical records. And, you know, at one point he says, you know, I thought maybe this indicated that Gypsy had been kidnapped by Dee Dee. So I called the authorities. But the thing is, Gypsy says that she doesn't recall this ever happening. She does not recall that the pediatrician called authorities, that DCFS visited their home and interviewed her and her mother. And she says, you know, maybe my doctor's just trying to cover his ass because he didn't actually call authorities when he absolutely should have. But maybe this makes him look like less of an incompetent, you know, uh, authority figure, you know, because doctors, I think, do have a duty, kind of like teachers, to alert authorities if something is going on that they think is abusive or unsafe for a child. So he's saying that's what he did. Gypsy's saying, yeah, I don't think so. I don't remember this. And she's like, well, maybe he's just trying to cover his ass. I don't know. I, I, I think that Gypsy would remember DCFS visiting her home and interviewing her and her mother. Um... So the whole lie about, you know, Gypsy being a certain age, but her mom telling her that she's actually younger and convincing her that she was, I guess at one point, uh, Gypsy's father wanted to call and wish uh, Gypsy a happy 18th birthday. And Dee Dee said, no, don't do that 
because then, she, you know, basically she doesn't know how old she is. So the mom is like, no, she thinks she's 14. I don't think she, I don't think she came right out and told Gypsy's father that, hey, I'm lying to Gypsy about her own age, but she was able to convince him not to call and wish his own daughter a happy 18th birthday because at the time Gypsy believed she was 14. So when Gypsy was younger, the Lymphoma and Leukemia Society, because again, you know, it was, uh, Dee Dee said that she had leukemia, which she didn't. They gifted Gypsy a laptop. And this is where things kind of go awry. Okay. Because this laptop allows Gypsy to start talking to people online in secret, of course, because Dee Dee would have none of it. Dee Dee, wouldn't allow Gypsy to socialize with people, go online, have her own Facebook account, none of that, because she needed to control every aspect of her daughter's life. But Gypsy starts doing this in secret with this gifted laptop. And Gypsy says in 2011, her mother, Dee Dee, took her to a sci-fi convention uh, and she meets a guy named Dan. And uh, afterward, apparently, Dan finds Gypsy's secret Facebook profile. And that's when the two of them start to connect online and have conversations. Gypsy does admit that these conversations become sexual in nature. Gypsy was 19 at the time this was going down, but she didn't know it. She told Dan she was 15. So for all Dan knew, Gypsy was 15. However, Dan was 36 years old at the time. So big age difference between the two of them. And Essentially, Dan becomes Gypsy's boyfriend. This is kind of when Gypsy and Dan start to make a plan at some point for Gypsy to run away from home and be with Dan and finally gain her freedom. But if you think about it, if Gypsy left, Dee Dee would lose her financial support because at that time, I believe that she was getting social security checks for her, for her sick child. So if, if Gypsy leaves, Dee Dee is going to be cut off. So Dee Dee's going to do whatever it is possible to keep her daughter in that house under her care for as long as possible. But Gypsy meets Dan. They start making an escape plan, essentially. And Gypsy ends up stealing cash from her mother. She grabs a blonde wig to disguise herself. She writes a letter to her mom and says something like, look, it's time for me to spread my wings and fly. I'm out of here. So she writes a letter, leaves it on the door, and Gypsy bails. And she runs away to go be with Dan. Gypsy says she hitchhiked to Dan's friend's house in the middle of the night because I guess Dan wasn't an independent dude. He lived with a friend, even though he was 36 at the time. And Gypsy hitchhiked. Like that was already, she's so lucky that she survived that. She's this innocent young girl or young woman who is wearing a blonde wig and like, hey, take me to my boyfriend's friend's house. Like I can't even imagine how scary that must have been, but she did it. And obviously it shows her desperation to get out from under her mother's control and abuse. But surprise, she meets Dan, she gets to his friend's house and... Dan's on parole and he's not allowed to leave the state. And this is a huge downer for Gypsy because Gypsy's like, I'm looking for an independent man who we can go live on our own, who has a car, who has a job, who can kind of like help take care of me maybe while I get back on my feet. Um, but Dan was none of that. 
But Dee Dee ends up finding Gypsy. She actually arrives at Dan's friend's house at some point, not, not long after Gypsy left home. And she arrives at like eight in the morning and Dee Dee tells Gypsy, she gets Gypsy to come out of the house. And Dee Dee tells Gypsy, look, if you come back, I'll let you see Dan, which of course was bullshit. And Gypsy ends up giving in. She goes home with her mom. And that was a big mistake because she basically, when she got home, her mother, Dee Dee, smashed her computer, smashed her cell phone. She bound Gypsy to the bed for two weeks, according to Gypsy. And I believe her. And she was attached to her mother by a dog leash so that Dee Dee could see everywhere that she was going in the house, even though she was bound to the bed. And, you know, Dee Dee at this point knows she's losing control of Gypsy and she's going to teach her a lesson. And that's exactly what she did. Gypsy says that her mother during this time would, would withhold food from her as a form of punishment, yet she would eat right in front of her almost to torture her. And this is the point at which Gypsy says her mother began physically abusing her. Gypsy also says that her mother at one point, right after she comes back from Dan's friend's house, that her mother put a voodoo hex on her. Um, apparently, she says her mother took some of Gypsy's menstrual blood uh, a cow tongue, a picture of Dan and Gypsy together, puts it all in a mason jar and buries it in the backyard and essentially puts a voodoo hex on her daughter and says, you will never be happy. Like you will never find love. You will never be happy. And almost like this hex was so that her daughter could never be happy. That's what the hex purpose was. And there's an expert who's interviewed in the documentary that says that Gypsy essentially seems like she had Stockholm syndrome where the victim develops a bond with their captor. And I think this is absolutely true based on what I know of Stockholm syndrome. Gypsy did have a deep bond with her mother, despite the abuse, despite the torture, the withholding food, the malnutrition at certain times, the, uh, you know, unnecessary surgeries. She did have a bond with her mother, her captor. And then it kind of, the documentary bounces back to Gypsy in prison and talks about the fact that Gypsy, a while back, got engaged to a man named Ken while she was in prison. But Ken ends up breaking it off with her and absolutely breaks her heart. And at that point, uh, Gypsy's like, I believe my mother's hex, her curse worked. Maybe I never will be happy. And Gypsy says in the prison interview that she actually weighed the pros and cons numerous times of, you know, just waiting till her mom died naturally in order for her to be free and live the life she wanted to live. Or she weighed out the pros and cons of actually doing something about it sooner uh, so that she could live the life that she wanted to live before it was too late. Because what would have happened if Dee Dee lived? Would Gypsy have just stayed there until her mother died, you know, of natural causes? whenever that would be. And then Gypsy never gets to live the life she wants to live. You know, she talks about kind of weighing the pros and cons of both of these scenarios. And we all know she ended up taking um, the latter choice, which was to do something about it much sooner than her mom would have died naturally. And of course, Dee Dee presents herself, uh, you know, as the mother of the year, you know, yet she's handcuffing her child to the bed for weeks at a time. And this makes so much sense. When you are a manipulator and abuser, you're going to do everything you can to present as a loving, 
mother of your child, you know, is just a pillar of the community. And that's what Dee Dee did. Yet she was just horrifically abusing her daughter for many, many, many years inside that dark, creepy hoarder house that she lived in for free. An expert comes on the documentary and says that he believes Dee Dee's likely a psychopath with no empathy. And that's probably true based on what we all know today about her. Because how can you do the things she did and continue to do them when you're somebody who has empathy? I mean, even the little, and this isn't little, I can't diminish what she did, but even just compared to some of the really awful things she did to her daughter, even just like eating a sandwich in front of her when your daughter's sitting there starving, chained to a bed, that is psychopathic. If that's not psychopathic, I don't know what is. At some point, Gypsy plans to run away again because she is just desperate to get out of this house and from under her mother's control. But I guess her mom sees her backpack, the backpack she packed to get out of the house, and she confronts Gypsy. And they get into an argument. I guess there's a gun nearby. And Gypsy says that she grabs the gun. She pulls the trigger at her mom several times and actually hits her. And, you know, she says that she just felt extremely trapped. Like there was just no way out of from under her mother's control. And she's like, my mom always caught me anytime I tried to do anything to live as a typical child or young adult, like my mom would catch me. And at that moment, I just pulled the trigger, not really thinking about anything. And she realizes afterward that the gun was actually a BB gun. So although the bullets did hit Dee Dee, she felt relieved because it didn't kill her mom or didn't even come close to killing Dee Dee. She said she felt relieved because she wasn't trying to kill her mom. And apparently Dee Dee told people that she was robbed by a person with a BB gun. <laughs> at Walmart of all places. And because uh, she, she didn't want people to know that it was actually her own daughter who tried to shoot her with a BB gun. There was an expert that comes on to the documentary and I thought this was very insightful and interesting. They said something like, you know, the world was colluding with Dee Dee and Gypsy felt absolutely no way out of this. The world was on her mom's side. And if you feel like that, you might go to extreme lengths to get out from just what seems like a situation where there is no way out. And Gypsy admits that she would disassociate, uh, you know, through an online fantasy world. It was like her escape. She would go to this laptop that was gifted to her and go talk to people in secret and get kind of caught up in this fantasy world of you know, finding her Prince Charming and all of this. And um, th that makes perfect sense because the world that she was actually living in was just chaos and awful. So at some point with her laptop, Gypsy finds this website called ChristianDatingForFree.com. It's a dating website. And that's where Gypsy meets a man named Nick Godijohn. And they start an online relationship. And apparently... Nick's ex-girlfriend, after Gypsy started dating him online, his ex-girlfriend apparently gets in touch with Gypsy and warns her and says he is very violent. Nick's controlling. He's violent. Um, you need to be careful. But Gypsy says she ignored these messages because she, whatever, wanted his companionship. We find out later that Nick had a fairly low IQ. I believe his IQ was reported to be 82, 
the average uh, of people of average intelligence is somewhere between 90 and 109. Um, and that will come into play uh, later. So they show all these messages between Gypsy and Nick on the, in the documentary. And in one message, um, Nick tells Gypsy that he's her twin flame soulmate. And I'm thinking, what in the fucking escaping flames is this? Like, escaping twin flames. Like, not the twin flame, buddy. I mean, geez, if Gypsy, Gypsy would have only known about escaping twin flames, maybe she would have run away from nasty Nick, um, but she didn't. And anyway, I just was like, okay, uh, I guess twin flames was a thing before we all thought it was a thing. Gypsy tells us in the documentary that Nick would make her repeat a certain phrase after they were done with all communication. So she would have to say, and she, she read it off like that. Like she said it off with no script. She's like, this is what I would have to say to Nick. I would have to say, I love and adore you, my King Charming. I love you. Good night. Exactly. Like Alexis, my assistant is like vomiting right now as she hears that. And I am too. It's like, uh, no, he, obviously he was very controlling of her if he's making her say these things. And again, I believe Gypsy that he was making her say that after every communication. Gypsy also finds out at some point that Nick has a BDSM fetish. So she's finding these things out about him, but how is she supposed to know to leave somebody who's exhibiting red flags because she doesn't know, she doesn't have the life experience because of her mom's abuse and control to really understand that she is in a very dangerous situation with this guy, Nick. And Gypsy is very submissive by nature due to her mom's control. So she's the perfect candidate for someone like Nick who also wants to control and abuse somebody, allegedly. And I guess that Nick and Gypsy made a plan for Gypsy to lose her virginity to Nick. And they go to a movie together. The mom is there, Dee Dee is there to um, chaperone and supervise. And so they're in the theater, but right away Dee Dee has got her eyes on Nick. Like she is eyeing him like crazy. And I don't even think, I don't know if Dee Dee knew that this was Gypsy's friend or whatever. Basically, you know, it's very clear that Dee Dee does not like Nick and Gypsy ends up telling Nick that later. But while they're at the movie, they make this plan to go to the bathroom or meet in the bathroom together. So according to Gypsy, her and Nick meet in the bathroom and they try to have sex, but Nick couldn't get an erection. And Gypsy just says this, you know, the, the whole experience felt weird. It felt shameful. It was nothing like what I thought it was going to be. And after the movie is over, Gypsy goes home. She gets online, contacts Nick, and she's like, yeah, my mom doesn't like you. And basically, they make plans for Gypsy to get out from under her mom's control. And basically, some of the plans they came up with were... Well, what if, you know, I, Nick, what if I get Gypsy pregnant? Um, uh, basically like that, you know, then you would have, we would have to be together and your mom would have to let you live with me because now you're pregnant with my baby. But ultimately their plot to get Gypsy out from under her mom's control basically escalates to a plot for murder. They are plotting to murder Dee Dee because that is the way that they see for Gypsy to get out. At some point, Dee Dee was able to get Gypsy deemed mentally challenged and basically unfit to care for herself. And again, this just adds to Gypsy feeling completely trapped by her mother because if she did run away, 
law enforcement would just bring her right back to her mom because she's mentally challenged and unfit to care for herself, according to her mother. So Gypsy is just absolutely desperate to get out from her, her mother's control, her mother's abuse. And she admits that she came up with the murder plot to kill her mother. Gypsy also tells us about an alternate personality that Nick had. Apparently, it was a 500-year-old vampire named Victor. And basically, Victor or Nick tells Gypsy that Victor would, in fact, kill her mother for her. At that point, Gypsy says that Nick suggested that she start researching ways to murder someone. So they look, you know, Gypsy looks up poison, a gun, uh, fire, maybe just lighter on fire. Ultimately, they decide on a knife to be the murder weapon. So Gypsy steals a knife from Walmart. Now, Gypsy says that Nick told her, okay, this is really dark. So um, trigger warning, it involves sexual assault. Um, Gypsy says that Nick told her before they murdered Dee Dee that he wanted to rape Dee Dee as Gypsy watched. And right after this, Gypsy says in her prison interview, and I was a little frightened of that. It's like, no shit. I mean, I'm not poking fun. It just was kind of like, she's like, and I was a little frightened of that. Yes, that is very frightening. Um, if that is true, and Nick said that, that is a holy shit moment. That, that is very, very, very dark and disturbing. Gypsy says that Nick told her about fantasies that Victor had, his alternate personality. Um, she says that Victor would have liked that if he and Gypsy had a daughter, Victor would apparently take their daughter's virginity on her 13th birthday. Again, totally disgusting. And I, just, I don't even know where to go with that. So I'm going to move on. Now, after that conversation, that very disturbing conversation that Gypsy had with Nick, apparently she says she dumped him, but they got back together soon after. Then on June 9th of 2015, Nick messages Gypsy on my way. This is when the murder plot is the wheels are in motion. That day, Gypsy says she watched a movie with her mom, knowing what was going to happen to her later. And a gypsy apparently says she told her mom that night, I love you, mom. And apparently Dee Dee looked at her and said, what's that for? I'm not dead yet. And it's just so ironic, right? She had no idea that her daughter was planning to have her killed that night. Gypsy says she goes into her mom's room that evening. She hugs her mom's pillow. She smells her scent. And Gypsy is crying while she says this. And she's just crying, knowing what's about to happen. But yet she doesn't stop it. She lets it continue. Then Gypsy gets another message from Nick and it says, I'm in Springfield, baby, with an exclamation point. And basically, it's like, okay, this it's time for this to all go down. Gypsy responds and says something like, okay, she's sleeping very lightly. Um, and Nick's, so at some point that evening, Nick arrives at Gypsy's home. He enters the house and Gypsy says that he looks at her and the first thing he says is, that bitch is dead. And he orders Gypsy to go to the bathroom, which she said she does. Gypsy covers her ears and then she can hear screaming. And at one point she hears uh, her mom scream, Gypsy, help me. And Gypsy 
says she to this day cannot get that out of her head. And she probably will never get that cry for help out of her head because this is her mother being stabbed to death while she's in the bathroom listening and she's crying out to her daughter for help and Gypsy doesn't help her. Gypsy says there's more screaming. She's covering her ears and then she hears one sharp scream and then silence. And apparently that's when her mother passed away. Now, Gypsy, again, this is going to get dark, so trigger warning uh, for what I'm about to talk about. Gypsy says that after the murder, Nick orders her to help him clean up, and then Nick orders her to the bedroom and basically says, because you didn't let me rape your mother, I'm going to rape you. And he, uh, Gypsy says that he does, in fact, rape her. She said she yelled stop at one point. He didn't stop. And she says that he choked her at one point to the point where she passed out momentarily. And when she came back to, she called out for her mother, I guess, during the rape uh, while Nick was assaulting her. And again, that's ironic because Gypsy says that she called out for her, you know, just instinctively while she's being assaulted by Nick, she's calling out for her mother to help her now, but her mother's already dead. Gypsy says that she was high on pain medications when all of this went down. Um, she says that she says that after they murdered, uh, after Nick murdered her mother and they cleaned up a little bit, they fled the scene and they went to a hotel. Um, they were supposed to flee to Wisconsin either that night or the next day. Um, but there were issues with Gypsy's bus ticket. So they had to stay in the hotel two extra days. And there's like footage, security footage of them at the, um, I don't know if it's like a train station or what uh, transportation, oh, bus, it was a bus station. Um, it shows the two of them right after killing, you know, Dee Dee, uh, trying to get bus tickets to Wisconsin. All right, so then at some point they get on a bus, they go to Wisconsin. Gypsy has $5,000 in cash in her pocket, which we uh, she stole from her mother's safe. And um, they arrive at Nick's parents' home. And so I guess apparently at this point, Nick is living with his mother or mother and father. They get to his house and basically, you know, Nick tells his mom, oh, Gypsy was kicked out of the house. Uh, and the mom, according to Gypsy, seemed fine with that, that this random girl or Nick's new girlfriend uh, is going to stay with them. And Gypsy says that Nick controlled her just like her mom did. Um, it was a shock to her that this wasn't, this was no fantasy with Nick. She thought that this is going to be my Prince Charming. He's going to take care of me. He's going to, you know, do all the things that my mom never did for me. And here he is controlling what she wore, what she ate, everything she did while she's living with him at his parents' house. And this is when Gypsy starts to feel a lot of regret and remorse for what they had done to her mother. At this point, Gypsy says, I wanted my mom to be found. I'm sitting there imagining her dead body in our home and she's just there alone and nobody has discovered her body yet. So Gypsy does something very shocking. And I still am just like, that's the route you chose? <laughs> like, it's it's weird. Um, Gypsy goes on her and her mom's shared Facebook profile and she posts that bitch is dead with an exclamation point. She says she used that terminology because that's exactly what Nick said to her when he entered the home before he murdered her mother. So she wrote that bitch is dead and her excuse for writing such a jarring post on a public profile was that she just thought like 
this is going to get people people's attention. They're going to do something if they see this. So of course, people who knew Gypsy and Dee Dee were very alarmed. They saw this and they start talking amongst each other. Like, did you see that post? What's going on? And they think at first that Gypsy and Dee Dee's Facebook profile had been hacked. Surely this was not Dee Dee or Gypsy who posted this, right? Then Gypsy, to set the record straight, she goes on that profile and she does another post, which is even more shocking. And she says exactly this. I fucking slashed that fat pig and raped her sweet daughter. Her scream was so fucking loud, LOL. This is what she wrote on Facebook to get people's attention. It's like, yeah, that's going to get some attention. It's just so shocking that she wrote these things. Um, I can't even begin to make sense of it, um, but it did get people's attention. And soon enough, uh, her mother's body was discovered at their Springfield, Missouri home. At first, authorities, you know, and the media starts reporting that 19-year-old Gypsy Rose was abducted um, because her wheelchair was found at the home, at the murder scene. And this is a child who apparently couldn't walk. So surely somebody must have thrust her over their shoulder and like kidnapped her. But that also like doesn't make sense. Who goes in and savagely murders a mother and then wants to kidnap her disabled teenager daughter. It just, it didn't make sense. Um, but this is initially what people thought was going on. And back to Gypsy in prison as of the current, you know, more current date. Um, Gypsy admits that she got engaged six months prior to that interview to, in secret to a man named Ryan Anderson. And she said, you know, I met Ryan six months ago. We fell in love. And she describes Ryan as a Southern Louisiana boy uh, he's a sixth grade social studies teacher when they get engaged. Before Gypsy met Ryan in prison, her plan was to live with her father and her stepmother, Christy. But then she falls in love with Ryan, gets engaged. So now Ryan's out apparently searching for places for him and Gypsy to live once she gets out of prison. Now, Ryan explains that he found Gypsy through watching her story. You know, he'd followed it in the news and he writes her a letter in prison. And Gypsy says, you know, Ryan made me laugh. We had a really goofy relationship. This attracted me to him and I fell in love. And that is why we're engaged. I picked up on something. I picked up on a lot of things, which I'm going to kind of sum up at the end of this. But at one point, Gypsy says uh, during this documentary, one of her interviews, she says, you know, at the end of the day, I'm a murderer. But that's contrary to what Gypsy has said more recently out of prison in current interviews, in a recent inter in a recent interview that I saw come up on my TikTok, she says something like, I don't identify as a murderer. Let's remember that it was Nick who killed my mom, not me. I find that interesting because because Gypsy, she was convicted of second degree murder because she created a murder plot and brought Nick into it. They are both culpable. And in my definition, you are a murderer. That's just me. Now, you know, maybe one carries more responsibility than the other, and that can be debated one way or the other. But it's very clear that Gypsy does, she wants to be as far removed from, you know, the label of murderer as possible. And I just find that interesting because um, she calls herself a murderer in prison, but outside of prison, she's like, no, I don't identify as a murderer. Kind of interesting. 
So Ryan and Gypsy actually do get married in prison in July of 2022. And it's like all I can think of as a mom, but even just as a human being is like, why? You don't need to do this. Go live your life. You're about to be out of prison, like date around, like have fun. And you were so sheltered for so long, but also I'm talking about this or I'm coming at this from the viewpoint of somebody who did live a, a fairly typical childhood, nothing like what Gypsy went through. And I've never been to prison, not yet, knock on wood. So, you know, that's my viewpoint of like, why, why just slow down, enjoy yourself. But Gypsy, you know, she's been locked up, whether under her mom's control or in prison for many, many years. So maybe that gives us a reason why she's, you know, jumping into marriage so quickly. So back to the murder investigation. At first, you know, a lot of, uh, there was a headline that said something like, you know, teenage Gypsy Rose is missing and Dee Dee's, you know, her mother Dee Dee is dead. So people thought that Gypsy was just like missing, like, oh my gosh, she, they didn't think that she had anything to do with this, I'm sure at first. Now at the scene, when they discover Dee Dee's body, they also discover that Dee Dee was a bit of a hoarder. There were just items and clutter and boxes everywhere. It was kind of unkempt. Um, and, but the only thing they saw that was pretty darn organized was her massive, Dee Dee's massive medicine cabinet. There were just medications upon medications in this woman's medicine cabinet. And apparently Dee Dee had stolen a breathing machine from a hospital. And so this would allow her to just put that thing on her daughter, Gypsy, whenever she wanted, whether she needed it or not. And we know now she didn't need it. But this is just another way that, uh, you know, Dee Dee kept up this ruse that her daughter is just this sickly child that, you know, is knocking on death's door. Now, based on a tip from, I don't know if it's one of Gypsy's friends or Nick Godijohn's friends, but based on a tip from a friend, law enforcement sends a warrant to Facebook and then Facebook responds by sending them all the messages between Nick and Gypsy leading up to the murder. And this is when like the gig is up. They've been caught. So both of them are brought in for questioning and uh, they were interrogated uh, separately. And you see some footage of both of their interrogations. It was pretty interesting. Nick makes a full confession. He's like, yeah, I did do it. And Gypsy, you know, came up with the idea. I stabbed her to death. But Gypsy, meanwhile, when she first gets into her interrogation, she tries to lie and she's actually damn good at it. One of my observations of Gypsy is in that moment, she seemed like a pretty good liar. Like you see her lying on the couch and then the detective comes in and he's like, okay, Gypsy, I'm going to talk to you about some things. And she's like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And he's like, okay, so your mom's dead. And Gypsy kind of lets him keep talking. And then all of a sudden she's like, wait, hold, hold, wait. What she's like trying to act like, wait, what'd you just say? Like, what happened? Like acting like she didn't know her mom was dead. And the detective's like, listen, don't even try it. We know, you know, or something like that. Um, but Gypsy at first is going to try and lie about it. And I thought she did a pretty darn good job of it. Um, it seemed fairly believable based on the little clip that we saw. But at one point, Gypsy's cornered, you know, the detective's like, no, we've seen your messages. Like, we know you had something to do with this. And finally, she confesses um, and she says today, Gypsy says today, look, I know that I brought 
I'm putting words in her mouth, but essentially she, she says something like, look, I know that I brought, I created this murder plot and I brought Nick into it, but it could have been anyone and that Nick would kill for. It's not just me. She's basically, again, Gypsy, I noticed that she distances herself from the crime and from culpability in ways like this, because it seems like what she's trying to do is say that, look, insert anyone here. And Nick would have said, yep, I'll kill for you. Yep. I'll kill for you. Yep. And I'll kill for you. Um, there's nothing special, so to speak about gypsy. Uh, so the culpability is mostly on him. That's the way I read what she was trying to say. And basically, you know, gypsy just presented the first and best opportunity for him to live out his fantasy of murdering somebody or Victor, his alternate personality. This is kind of the way that Gypsy puts it. And again, I find this interesting because I do see that Gypsy really is trying to distance herself from this crime. And there's another way that she tries to do it that I'm going to get into later. Now, Gypsy doesn't come fully clean right away. Yes, she, when she's backed into a corner, she tells law enforcement, yes, I was part of the murder plot. But apparently she doesn't tell her public defender that she knew that Nick was going to do this. She tells him the opposite. So the public defender's interviewed and he's like, yeah, I didn't know that Gypsy had put Nick up to this. Uh, you know, I thought up until I had evidence that Gypsy didn't know that Nick was going to do this to her mother. And how the public defender apparently found out that Gypsy did know that Nick was going to do this ahead of time is there's a cell phone video that Gypsy takes herself of for Nick. This is part of their murder plot. And she does this video of her mother's bedroom. Specifically, she puts the camera on her mother's bed. And then you see Gypsy's hand coming into frame, making a stabbing motion. She's pointing to the bed like, hey, this is where my mom's going to be sleeping and you need to stab her. So it is just like so obvious that Gypsy knew exactly what Nick was going to do. Three years after Gypsy went on trial and was found, uh, pleaded guilty uh, as part of a plea deal and was charged with second degree murder, uh, Nick John goes on trial and Gypsy actually testifies against him at the trial. And like I said earlier, Nick is uh, convicted of first degree murder, sentenced to life in prison, no parole. Um, but they do make clear in the documentary that Nick was never charged with sexual assault. Because, of course, um, Gypsy's alleging that he did sexually assault her. I personally believe Gypsy, but that doesn't mean that he's going to get convicted of that at trial. And he's already serving life in prison for the murder of her mother. So Gypsy claims that in 2019, after she's already been sentenced to prison, that she gets a letter from Nick. And she basically says that Nick tells her that he's still in love with her and that he doesn't regret what he did. Gypsy apparently says, yeah, I responded back to him and said, I don't want a relationship with you. I'm very happy. I don't know if I believe Gypsy, um, maybe, but something in my gut told me she might be fabricating this story. I don't know why, what the purpose of that lie would be. Um, I, I have some theories, but I don't know. She might be lying in this moment, but of course, I don't know. And Gypsy does, in fact, get paroled. So uh, she's paroled as of December 28th, 2023. So Gypsy, as of the date that I am recording this, which is January 26th, 2024, 
This is about a month after she's been released from prison. So she's fresh out of prison at this point. You know, I have a lot of final thoughts about this whole, you know, docu-series about this, this case. One of my thoughts is that I get a feeling, you know, that this case is similar to the Menendez brothers case in that they, in my opinion, based on what we know, they, the Menendez brothers, were horrifically abused by both of their parents and also felt there was no other way out of their situation other than to kill their parents, which is what they did. And I feel like that is a very similar thing that Gypsy experienced. She felt completely trapped, no way out, miserable, wanted to live her life the way she wanted to live it while she still could. And this is the action she took for her to be free. And you know, we can't expect a severely abused child to behave rationally or like others would do. Like, you know, you can't sit here and say like, well, if I was in that situation, I would have just left or I would have just done that because the truth is you don't know what you would do. And I know this, you know, I've been the victim of a crime when I was a teenager and when I tell you that I reacted in a way that I never thought I would have, I absolutely did. So you don't know what you would do until you are faced with a scenario. You can say all you want, well, I would have done this and I would have done that. You don't know. That said, Gypsy Rose plotted someone's murder. Whether we like that person or not, you can't do that. You, you, you have... There has to be a punishment for that because we have to deter people from just, you know, vigilante justice, if you will. And, you know, in my opinion, Gypsy should face consequences for what she did. And she did face consequences. It's not up to me to decide whether eight and a half years was enough. Given what she's been through, it feels like enough. That's where I stand on it. Um, but I do believe that that Dee Dee Blanchard, nobody should be murdered. I mean, it's so hard, though. I see. I even go back and forth because even in the Menendez case, you know, I do believe that they were abused. And yes, I don't agree with a lot of the actions they took, but I guess I can understand it. It's not that I have to agree with it, but I understand it. I don't agree with Gypsy's actions, but I think I can understand them, uh, how she might have gotten to that point. Do I believe she should face consequences for what she did? Yes. Do I believe eight and a half years in prison is enough? I think so. You know, and look, if Dee Dee had survived, you know, she should have and potentially would have faced consequences for her actions against her own daughter. So it's like either, you know, Dee Dee, if you flip the script, Dee Dee, according to Gypsy and others, Dee Dee was a horrible abuser. And she inflicted a lot of pain and suffering on her own daughter. And again, though her actions also have consequences. Just like Gypsy plotted her mother's murder and the consequences were she went to prison. Dee Dee abused her child and those actions a lot of times have consequences. And the consequence was she got murdered. I'm not saying I agree with it, 
But that was the consequence of Didi's actions. Again, I'm not saying that that's how it all should have played out. I would have liked to see Didi arrested and charged, go through the criminal uh, trial process and be convicted and spend a lot of time in prison for what she did. That is how I wish this whole thing played out. Um, but it didn't. But it's just a fact, you know, or my opinion that Didi was terrible and her terrible actions had a reaction. There was a consequence for how she chose to show up as a mother. And I use that term loosely when it comes to Dee Dee Blanchard. And maybe Gypsy's running, you know, to find love and get married so quickly because, you know, she almost like is proving her mother wrong, her dead mother wrong. Like her mother put a hex on her and said, you will never be happy. You will never find love. And Gypsy's probably like, well, F you, I found love. You know, maybe that's what's going through her head. I don't know. It's just a guess. And, you know, if if Gypsy were my daughter, I would be adamantly against her getting married. Now, that doesn't mean I could stop it or would stand in the way of her getting married, but I would advise her not to. And I would say, just wait, get out of prison, get grounded, have some life experience, and then make that what is supposed to be a lifelong decision. Um and also, you know, I don't know much about Ryan, you know, is he in it? Is he in it with Gypsy for the money, for the fame, like, or the potential money? She doesn't have any money now. I don't think maybe she got paid for this documentary. Um, but you know, she's got a lot of potential to make money off of her story. And maybe he's thinking that, and maybe he sees dollar signs. Maybe he is actually in love with Gypsy. She's a beautiful girl. She's very intelligent. She's very funny. And, um, so it's not to say that somebody wouldn't fall in love with her. I, I can see that. Um, I just don't know enough about him. I certainly hope that he has Gypsy's best interests at heart because she is somebody who definitely needs nurturing uh, and for somebody to be an advocate for her and be in her corner. Now, going back to my thoughts of, you know, I just know I, I pick up on little things and it doesn't mean I'm right or, or whatever, but it's my opinion that Gypsy definitely wants to get as far away from this murder, you know, murderer label of far, as far away from culpability in this crime as possible. And she does that in a, in a number of ways that I addressed earlier. But another way that she does it is when she's being inter interviewed, she often says, she often refers to what happened to me. She doesn't say, yes, because of what I did, Da, 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 da. She says, because of what happened to me, da, 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 da. so she uses a phrase of because of what happened to me, rather than saying what I did to another. And I find that interesting. And I think that's just a, a way for her to distance herself from culpability, to distance herself from the horrific actions that she took. And I'm not necessarily judging her for it and saying, oh, girl, you need to take... I think Gypsy's been through a lot, but I'm just, I'm just giving you my observations that it seems like she is trying to distance herself from it. And I mean, who wouldn't want to distance themselves from helping to murder their own mother? You know, I've seen a lot of online chatter and people are on both sides of this thing. Some people are rooting Gypsy on like, yeah, go girl. We're glad you're out of prison. Live your best life. And there are other people who are like, why are we cheerleading for a murderer? Why are we hyping this girl up when she helped to kill her mom? And also she put all the blame or most of the blame 
on her boyfriend at the time who had a limited IQ, limited mental capacity. So people are calling her actions into question. A lot of people are saying too, like, whoa, gypsy, slow down. And to those around her, like, whoa, she's out here, you know, walking red carpets and she's out here on TikTok. She's doing get ready with me's. And she's basically being been thrust into the spotlight right after, like fresh out of prison. And a lot of people are like worried about her not, you know, having an advocate to step in and go, hey, everybody kind of back off. Gypsy needs to sort of like chill out, slow her roll, get adjusted, and then maybe she can start doing interviews. But no, it's just been fast forward, full steam ahead uh, with these interviews and red carpets. And as far as where I stand on that, I do think it's a lot. And I worry about her as well. I do hope that she has good people in her corner. It seems like she does. She does have her father and her, who she calls her mother, Christy, because Christy does seem like she's been a real advocate uh, and mentor um, for Gypsy. She's got her sister who seems to have a very level head and have her sister's best interests at heart. So it does seem like she has people in her corner. I just hope that Gypsy takes time to slow down, enjoy her freedom, you know, get grounded and figure out what she's going to do um, because it does seem like she has been thrust in the spotlight. And I don't know if that's good for her or not, but who am I? I don't know. Like, I don't know what's best for Gypsy. And I, I don't know if you guys have seen these, but like, there's so many memes. There's so many Gypsy Rose memes because she's got that high pitched voice. Right. And so it's like very meme worthy, but she's also saying some really funny shit. Like she's like in one uh, TikTok that I saw, Gypsy's like, you can't bring me down. I'm living my best life. Can't bring me down. And the D is fire. She's talking about. Apparently somebody asked her like, how's the D? You know, like basically like, you know, you're getting to have sex now that you're out of prison. How's the D? And she's like, the D is fire. <laughs> this is like so good. Um, and like my assistant Alexis brought up, it's like, well, I think that any D would be fire at this point when you've been locked up and getting no D for like a decade. Okay. So Gypsy, if you have any other D besides your husband, report back and let us know if that first D was still fire. <laughs> All right, you guys, as always, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Please make sure to subscribe to my YouTube channel. I'm at Jamie on air, so you don't miss any new uh, videos. Also subscribe to the Murderish podcast. Murderish is available wherever you get your podcasts. And please join the Serial Streamers True Crime TV Club community. We are having so much fun talking about these documentaries. And again, all you have to do to join, there's nothing formal. Like, we're not going to jump you in or anything like a gang. I mean, <laughs> all you have to do is follow me on social media. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm like super giddy today and I have not been drinking, I swear. But all you have to do to join the Serial Streamers True Crime TV Club is follow me on Instagram, TikTok, or YouTube at Jamie on Air. And then join me in the comments, me and the community of Serial Streamers, as we dish and give our hot takes and opinions on these wild documentaries. And let me know what you all think about Gypsy Rose Blanchard, about this documentary, about her story, about the case, about Gypsy today and what, what's going on today. How do you feel about her being thrust into the, into the spotlight? Do you think Gypsy's a master manipulator or do you think this is just a woman who's been through a lot 
and, you know, is mostly telling the truth about things. I mean, what would you think Ryan has good intentions uh, with his new wife, Gypsy? Like what, where do you think Gypsy's going to go from here? Like, what is she going to do? Um, I hope she doesn't start a podcast. Now I know that's really mean. Gypsy, love you, girl. Probably podcasting is not the route you should take because I could just hear, I just, I could just see the reviews coming in now. People are mean. And I know this because I'm a podcaster. They will pick your ass apart for that high pitched voice. And listen, we can't change our voices. And I'm not saying that it's bad or good. I'm just saying for podcasting specifically, maybe not. But who am I? She's Gypsy Rose Blanchard. She could probably do it all. But remember, cults are stupid. Ted Bundy's ugly. Scammers suck at life. And binging true crime documentaries is self-care. And don't let anybody tell you different. Bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games.